Hi, Ravi. Make yourself comfortable. Thank you. Um, Ravi is the Vice President for Digital Buildings and Global Commercial at Schneider Electric. And um, Ravi and I are going to be talking about um, how Schneider is reimagining the role uh, of the field technician for 2025, 2030, and beyond. Okay, so going back to the evolution of service delivery, um, the talent challenges that we have, these things all sort of intersect to raise a lot of questions really into how are things going to change? That's what we're going to get into. Before we do that, um, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. So first of all, bonjour à tous. I think uh, very happy to be here with you, Sarah. Thanks for inviting me and enjoyed the panel with Sebastian. I think it was a good start this morning. It's about myself. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm born in India. I've been expat for more than now 19 years. I've lived in Southeast Asia, Middle East, Latin America, and now in France last 13 years. And I've had, I've had two parts in my career. In the first part, I was a solution architect in telecommunications industry. So I worked with Nokia Networks, Ericsson, uh, across Southeast Asia, Middle East, Latin America on deploying the biggest 3G rollouts at that time and really enjoyed traveling across the globe. Uh, then I did my MBA in France in HEC and I joined Schneider Electric in corporate strategy. Uh, where I worked with the executive committee for a while. I understood our problems in deep. I became an internal auditor. So I went in finance actually thinking I'll become a CFO in the group because finance something I enjoy <laughs> and I still, uh, you know, the closest to my heart is, uh, and I think deep down I'm a financial guy. Yeah. So I worked with our executive committee on the biggest problems across the globe from R&D efficiency, solution business model, uh, services transformation, topics like that. Uh, for uh, roughly three years, I traveled across 15 countries, uh, you know, I spent time in our factories. And at that time, I realized I'm not a financial guy, you know, so uh, because I like one part of finance, which is value creation, but I don't like the other part, which is controlling, you know, mm -hmm. it's not my DNA. So I went into business uh, and I started with our biggest customers in cloud and service providers, supported them in their own expansions across the globe. And uh, I think data center cloud business growing so fast. I learned so much about our own business, mm -hmm. our own defici deficiency in terms of where we need to transform. And from there now, I've been uh, part of the business uh, transformation team, uh, what we call digital energy for the last uh, seven years. So I was recruited by one of our executive committee members and uh, I, I worked with him on commercial transformation, which is to turn around the PNL, which was the first phase. And I was responsible for commercial policy and pricing to turn around the PNL. And then uh, I started leading services some four years back and now I lead the entire digital buildings commercial globally, which includes three main elements. So one is our global initiatives, which is uh, demand creation, sales community, leading that, uh, prioritizing new investments and our launches globally. So that's one part. Uh, second part, I lead the international operations, so which is uh, growth of buildings business in international where uh, we want to double our market share in the next three years and where I lead the investments in those zones, uh, countries like India, Middle East, South America, all those are led by me. And then finally, services, which is the major engine of growth uh, and where my main focus is modernization and digitization of our services. Uh, and, you know, uh, the biggest part is the biggest opportunity is 
moving from uh, uh, that traditional service model to completely digital. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that's about me. So thank you for that. And when you think about where Schneider is on that journey um, to from traditional to digitally enabled service, um, where how would you describe where you are today? That's a, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Where we are, I think uh, if I take a step back a bit, uh, number one, I think our customers are transforming, you know, and, mm -hmm. and the markets are transforming. The biggest opportunity we have today is the sustainability, energy efficiency, you know, comfort. Uh, and if I talk about sustainability, if you look at any, any uh, you know, Fortune 500 company and you go into their capital markets, they are talking about sustainability, building sustainable operations, achieving net zero target by 2030, 2040, okay? Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two is energy efficiency. You look across Europe right now, uh, the energy prices went up by three to four for companies like us. Mm -hmm. So imagine your energy bill was 30 million euros, <laughs> suddenly it's 100, 120 million euros and type of impact that has on your PNL. And third is, you know, governments, the, the net zero targets, uh, the focus on sustainability efficiency, that has created good secular trends for us to focus on those. And that has led to the transformation of our services business. So that started with understanding our customer and the basic in service business is understanding your customer mm -hmm. in a very deep sense, you know. Uh, and uh, in our case, obviously, one part of customer is people. Second part is what you have sold to them. Mm -hmm. And even that knowledge, you know, in a lot of our companies doesn't exist, right? So what we started with is, you know, our first phase of transformation was creating products that connect to cloud seamlessly, you know, so that we are able to provide that digital service seamlessly to our customer and delivering value over there. Second uh, part is then digitizing those service plans. And I think Sebastian mentioned a very good point, like getting that remote service in your contract. You know? mm -hmm. So customers recognize, yeah, there's something that is coming remotely and this is how it's going to happen. So that was the second phase of transformation. Where we are today, I would say, you know, uh, in terms of maturity, we are not there. You know, I mean, today, if I tell you in terms of numbers, 25% of our service plans are digital. Mm -hmm. My ambition is to be around 80% by the year 2025, mm -hmm. 80-85% because we still have some customers that don't connect to cloud, especially mm -hmm. the cloud customers themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's the challenge. So we'll go get to 80%. We have the offer, we have the technology. Where we are transforming is people. You know? I mm -hmm. think people, not only on our side, but customer side as well. A lot of our customers still, you know, they'll you know, they want to transform, they want to show they are digital, but they'll still say, oh, I want your guy on site. Mm -hmm. But what is he going to do on site? Mm -hmm. You know, tell me, what is he going to do on site? Is he going to walk around with you looking at all these equipment? Yeah. I don't know. That's valuable, you know. So my role, you know, and, and this is where I, I am very passionate about this is I go and ask him, oh, let me walk with you, with my engineer and mm -hmm. show me what you're going to look at. Yeah. And if I show you that happening digitally, why do you need that? But you know? that's a it's a really good point because this is where the people part comes in yeah. is digging into when they say that, what do they mean? Yeah. Like what are they looking for? What are they um what are they wanting out of that time on site? Okay. Because if you just blow past that objection and just say, no, 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 that's not how we're doing it, right? There's an emotional need or, or concern that you're not addressing. So you have to take the time to understand yeah. what are they looking for? Do they want more information? Do they want um, that connection? 
And what is the best way then to provide that? Because to your point, it isn't just having yeah. someone go walk around. That's probably not what they're actually looking for. Or is it trust? Is it control? Right? <laughs> like there's something yeah. underneath that. No, it's, uh, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, whenever I talk about customer, you know, we are in a B2B environment. Customer is not one person, right? Mm -hmm. So customer is this whole organization and their own politics inside, their own regions. You know, you got one guy global, then you got regional guys, you got, you got country guys just like us. And then you got, you got a person on site who has his own challenges, right? He has mm -hmm. to deliver his KPIs. He has to make sure the site is running 24-7, delivering the value that he's been asked for, mm -hmm. the KPIs that he's addressing. So uh, for number one for me is to understand that customer very in a deep sense, like mm -hmm. how they are as an organization, what KPIs they are challenged on, and how do I connect that to individual site owner? You know, I think it's very important. And then to understand that site owner, you know, his own opportunities that you know he would like to achieve. So he gets promoted in his organization right. and his own fears, so as you say, right? Because he's done that in that way for years. Mm -hmm. I'm not from the industry, right? I told you I started as a strategy finance guy, but there are people in the industry like you had John on the screen who's been in the industry for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So now if the person has done that job in the same way for 20 years, I mean, there's, there is something we need to do to make sure he understands the value on the other yeah. side and it addresses his fears, you yeah. know, that keeps him back because fear is a big element. I mean, we can propose these digital technologies and cloud, but that guy is concerned about his job, you know. Right. And he is concerned that if he doesn't visit that with my engineer, maybe he'll lose his job. Mm -hmm. No, we don't blow uh, blow away from those uh, those challenges. Yeah. I address them and I, I like talking to customers and debating with them. Likewise, with our own engineers. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guys on the field have so much knowledge, you know, mm -hmm. it's crazy. Like I go in one uh, one site visit and I have three features, you know, written in my diary. Mm -hmm. And I come back and I tell my, you know, our our development team that I want to see these features and I want you to do a workshop with the rest of the team. I think there is uh, there there is that transformation journey you need to have with yeah. your with your people and your with your customer. You cannot blow away from the from the fears of the people. Yeah, yeah. We had a I had a um, woman on the podcast recently who is a um, neuro scientist mm. uh, that specializes in leading through change. Okay. And so we talked about these five elements of neuroscience that factor into change management. And one of the, the very simple things we discussed, but I thought powerful is that we, we all need to understand that resistance to change is normal. It's, it's human instinct. So whether it's with your employees or like we just talked about with your customers, getting that initial resistance is not a sign that, you know, they're not willing in the big picture or you're on the wrong path. It's just very normal when someone has done something a certain way for a long time to have that resistance. So we need to expect that and do a better job of working through it and not see it as a signal that, yeah. you know, things are, are not as they should be. No, absolutely. I think, uh, and then also you need to understand your own resources. You know, we are a big company. We have a, you know, huge PNL. But, you know, I tell you, we are challenged big time on the investment and the cost mm -hmm. where we spend, you know. And one of my priority is that the investment that we make has the best return on investment. So uh, in that case, you know, when I say understanding your customers, you also need to understand which 
of your customers are ready for the innovation that you're building, right? You don't yeah. want to tell that to all your customers. Like you want to really have a group of customers that are leaders. Yeah. They want to show outside that with this technology we are leading. We are the best in class. And that's the customer, you know, mm -hmm. who's ready for that type of uh, pilot project with you. And then you start small in one place yeah. where you know that, okay, this in this customer organization, the people are also open. This is the leader I like. And I, I do that myself mm -hmm. uh, at times to go deeper in those pilot projects to un understand that we have agreed the, the, the people who will be on those team, the Steerco, we, under, we are aligned on the objectives that we will deliver and we track that, you know, and I always make them pay. You, know? yeah. they have, you have to invest. You would, nothing is free. So if you put money, that means somebody at the top in their organization will ask them, hey, we, I gave you this uh, investment. What is the return? Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's the best way, you know, you go uh, in customers. You also need to understand who are those leaders where you try your innovation and you work with them first and then it's a competition you know now if you go to any company and you talk about sustainability they they want to be they want to be on that path mm -hmm. today if you're not on a net zero path in your capital markets i mean you, your your stock price will be discounted it's mm -hmm. as simple as that yeah okay so when we think about the role of the field technician mm -hmm. so you mentioned they're incredibly knowledgeable which is absolutely true at the same time, we have a shortage of them and we have uh, all of these capabilities that are increasing our ability to uh, resolve some issues remotely. So when you think about what does the role of the field technician look like in 2025, 2030 and beyond, what, what are you planning for? I think the first thing we did uh, just a couple of months back is we changed calling them field technician. We mm -hmm. now call them service technician. Mm -hmm. And that's the first uh, level of transformation. And there are uh, two breaks in that transformation, I would say, or three. You know, One is uh, the technology, the speed at which the technology is developing and getting adopted across our customer landscape. Uh, second break is transformation of service processes and automation. Mm -hmm. And third break is obviously people, the most important break. And, uh, you know, the and, and services has always been a people business and will always remain a people business. But the way you deliver service to your customers will change. Mm -hmm. uh, and the value that people, people will bring to their customers will change. As uh, Sebastian was mentioning, you know, partnership. Mm -hmm. Every every technician, if you talk to him, he takes a great pride in telling you that how you know close he is to his customer, mm -hmm. you know how closely he knows about his business. And I can tell you, a lot of our customers, even bes uh, before placing like uh, billions of euros of POs, mm -hmm. they will talk to the service technician mm -hmm. and they will get his advice. So and that's probably one of the reasons they yeah. are saying, no, we want them here. Absolutely. On site, right? They have that relationship. They have that um, comfort level with that individual. And I think this is where the technology process will enhance the value he delivers to his customers. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that we discussed about, you know, the fear in people. I think mm -hmm. one of the fears is also technology will replace me. You know, technology mm -hmm. will replace me. Uh, it will start doing my job and I'll become redundant. Mm -hmm. The answer is no. You know, technology will make you look even better. And that's what... Uh, we need to help them understand. So when I look at a technician in 2025, 2030, the way they deliver service from going on site and doing that break fix 
to you know moving to condition based maintenance to completely uh, you know an outcome based service model you know we are still on that journey of maturity to finally a model where you have ai ubiquitously implemented in customer side and where a technician is more like an analyst you know mm -hmm. who's coming and helping his customer to further enhance the value and taking decisions that he's not able to take even mm -hmm. with ai i mean you look at you know the recommendations that are making so you define the boundaries mm -hmm. and then uh, it's recommending you certain things where people need to make press those buttons and then even there there is fear right and mm -hmm. the role of technician changes from fixing issues to advising on issues and helping your customer to you know take those uh, decisions mm -hmm. that will be that will help them reduce carbon that will help them reduce energy consumptions uh, that will help them you know uh, become a better company in the way they deliver service to their customers mm -hmm. so that's how i see the role changing big time you know from now until 2030 yeah so i like the shift that you've already made um from calling them field technicians to service technicians. I think that's very, very smart. Um, and I know uh, another term that gets thrown around that people detest is trusted advisor, which uh, I understand, but it, you know, um, sometimes when we don't have a better term, we use what's there. So I'm personally very curious, like have you thought at all about as this changes, okay, in the ways that you explained, mm. like in 2030, is there something you might call these these workers other than even service technician? Pro probably, yeah, there'll be the huge shift. So first change is the operating model, you know, mm -hmm. the way you operate today uh, with your customer base to the way you will operate in 2030 is very different. And we've already started that journey some six, seven years back with the change in our offer, connection to digital, you know, all of those things. And now bringing that, at a at scale to our customers. So that's mm -hmm. number one shift. With that, what changes is a uh, lot of the data that you capture from site, there's, you need to have a team that analyzes that data. Mm -hmm. So we already have that, you know. Mm -hmm. We have something called global connected hubs that is uh, in my team. We have those across India, UK and US. So, uh, and then we help, we explain that operating model to our countries that this is how we are gonna shift and these are the things that are gonna change. So in that operating model, you have a team that delivers remote service. You have a team that you know is called customer success. So you're mm -hmm. transforming that function as well. Mm -hmm. You have a team that helps understand, um, explains that report and outcomes to the customer. And the third, the final leg is your technician, you know, who goes and then uh, talks to the customer and finally executes uh, some of those elements uh, that come in. So that that whole shift, uh, that whole transformation is a is a massive journey, and that's. And then you need to take that into account in that whole ecosystem mm -hmm. because the role of the technician is one of the role that will deliver yeah. the the uh, the value that you're looking to build with your customers. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to me, and, and I don't think there's any universal answer, right? I mean, what that evolution looks like for Schneider versus a, a different industry, um, they're not going to be the same. But thinking about the fact that there will be multiple parties responsible for what it looks like and probably some different segmentation of work, some different titles um, coming along, I think it is something that it's really important to be thinking today about, right? Because yeah. these things are going to happen faster than we we probably feel. So we already started plotting what I was talking about, the operating model mm -hmm. and the core roles over there. So the 
the connected hub engineer, uh, the analyst, the customer success engineer, and then started defining the role of technician in 2025 and 2030. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are there are some elements there that are variable. Mm -hmm. There are some elements there that are uh, that will remain constant. So the engineer. Uh, the need for people will be constant mm -hmm. but the what will be variable is the technology and how mm -hmm. you know how uh, fast we are in deploying that technology so some of that technology exists today mm -hmm. for example you know fault detection diagnostic it's a simple anomaly detection system where normally in simple terms anomaly detection is you know a system should work in a certain way and you detect you know the, the variances that happen in that system and you make decisions based on that. Mm -hmm. So part of the technology there, we are already piloting AI. Mm -hmm. uh, as I was mentioning, we did a huge project in Stockholm with the Stockholm School, which I also talked about. Uh, so AI is something we are launching in selected countries. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, and this, these are two technologies and we are also looking at other technologies, you know, for, for our different segment of customers. So multi-site customer, multi-site retail, so we are looking at those technologies as well, which will help us build that jigsaw puzzle of technologies. Yeah. So I believe that the 80, uh, 70, 80 percent of the technology that needs to be there for 2030 already exists mm -hmm. in a way, or at least we know where we need to go. Uh, then now it's important that with that technology, you need to imagine, you know, how uh, the how a technician that is delivering value today will deliver that value 2025. So for 2025, we got that figured out, you know, mm -hmm. because we are already on that transformation path. So we defined that out of the service plans that we have, these are the customer segments and the plan that move there. Yeah. And we are actively talking with those customers, helping them explain, understand the value and helping them make that shift because that's that takes time as well, you know. Mm -hmm. to make that uh, change in their commercial uh, contracts as well. And then the third part, which is the most important is people, you know, the technician himself. So the competencies of technician that they have today and in our industries, HVAC controls, you know, heating, ventilation, air conditioning in simple terms mm -hmm. and the controls part that exists over there. From there, that technology is now becoming more uh, operational technology. Mm -hmm. So it goes on the same IT network as your IT, you know, your, your yeah. IT infrastructure. So that brings newer challenges around networking, mm -hmm. cybersecurity. So we need to train our engineers around that, you know, dealing with cloud, cloud data. Right. The questions that customers are asking is, where is my data stored? You know, data governance related topic. So that is something we have launched in few geographies now. Uh, what we did is we, out of the group of, let's say, you know, 100 technicians, we selected a group of 20 that will undergo that uh, competency development. We am sponsoring part of that because countries don't have that budget as well to make sure they make that shift. And then that becomes a competition. You know, every engineer wants to be on that track. He wants to be part of that community. So that just team rolls, you know, that's the yeah. beauty of it. But yeah, again, it's, it's really to think of it in a broader ecosystem. Uh, breaking that down into smaller problems and then tackling certain problems that need to be tackled today and then paying attention to performance again. You know, 2025 is like tomorrow, you know, right. for me, sure. we're already in 23, 24, 25. So mm -hmm. we, and I've, we have committed numbers that need to be delivered as well. On yeah. That. yeah. So I think there's a couple of things you, you said that I want to um, come back to. One is I think it is still really important to reinforce that this shift or these technologies are not taking jobs, right? Yeah. So 
For those of us here, knowing the talent shortages that exist, the capacity we need to fill, like that probably seems pretty obvious. Like no one's trying to get rid of a bunch of technicians. We need more as it is, right? But in their minds, there is that fear. The second thing you said that I liked is um, this group of 20. You're, you're kind of making it uh, exciting for people to get involved early and, and that will help with the change management. But the other thing, um, that I'm thinking about, uh, going back to the welcoming problems, uh, idea is, um, you know, while this shift in, in what the role of the frontline worker will look like, it's challenging in the sense of, um, managing change for existing folks and, helping them understand um, what that change will look like. But it also presents an opportunity um, to uh, have these roles be more appealing for different yeah. uh, candidates going forward, right? So, you know, you're, you're, it's less mechanical, more technical work, probably more customer-oriented work. Um, like you said, less, uh, in a lot of scenarios, less travel, less time on site, et cetera. So, these are all things that when we start to welcome the problem and shift our thinking become opportunities to think about uh, how to diversify the candidates that we're presenting roles to, et cetera. So I think from that perspective, you know, we need to not only be problem solving, but thinking about the positives of, of that as we go yeah, forward. I think what is great in our industry is, you know, 40% of carbon emission comes from buildings. 30% of energy globally is consumed by buildings. 80% mm -hmm. of you know, um, the infrastructure that is in buildings is not working well. 50% of systems are not efficient. So there is a purpose in your job. You know, if, you are, if you're working with buildings, and that's the purpose I like, you know, and, and I share that with the rest of the team, which is we are working on something that helps us uh, deliver sustainability outcomes to mm -hmm. our customers, mm -hmm. help them in that journey. I think that's a very big, and that's that's also created a challenge in a way. That's an opportunity and a challenge. Challenge is that th that that uh, purpose has caught on to many companies, which is great for us, which is great for humanity, and that has created demand for people who understand those control systems and help them drive that sustainability efficiency. So a lot of our customers end up recruiting our people, which is great. You know, I would like our people to work in with our customers. They are our biggest. Uh, ambassadors and supporters, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a that's a uh, challenge and opportunity that I see. And obviously, when we are in a university campus or in in the market, you know, you're competing with whole lot of different industries out there, and you your pitch has to be the best one to attract mm -hmm. the new talent that has that is coming in the workforce from engineering colleges and the talent that already exists. Maybe in adjoining industries, maybe there is an engineer, you know, working in a process. Uh, technology or an electrical side of industry and I would like that they transition to controls mm -hmm. and I, I want to you know even look at those guys and say yeah we need to attract them and you know bring them in the fold so that the overall talent pool grows yeah. and this is where we are spending time so two sides one is on the university programs uh, I think they, that's the best place you know you get yeah, I think uh, if your purpose is clear if your company is true to the purpose then your brand should attract the best in the market, you mm -hmm. know. The, and for us, we just don't talk about it. In Schneider Electric was the most sustainable company in the world in 2021 by Corporate Knights. And that helped us because we are on this journey for a long time. 
we are able to tell people that you know you come to a building that i am sitting it is it's the first iso 50001 in the build iso 50001 building in the world mm -hmm. which is the most which is a benchmark for energy efficiency likewise i was mentioning the building that we built in grenoble is 113 out of 120 points on lead platinum certification that's again highest in the world mm -hmm. so when you have done it in your own operation you are you are more credible you know when you are talking to students uh, you know future uh, talent that wants to join your company yeah. having said that it's still yeah. <laughs> not that easy i think the challenge remains i think you know we still have shortage there's so much demand you know there's so much demand i think that's yeah. a great part yeah yeah so um i I really respect uh, the work that you're doing and your teams are doing to, to sort this all out, okay, to put it simply, right? Um, I think that for a lot of uh, leaders, it can be very daunting to um, carve out time to think longer term when you're really fighting a lot of immediate challenges. So do you have any advice for folks on sort of you know, how to balance the short-term needs of the business yeah. with the necessity of innovation? Yeah, I think uh, short-term is key. I, I'll tell you that, you know, if, if your company is listed, you guys know, and, you know, you get a call <laughs> before closing that where are the numbers and where are you? And I, I pay a lot of attention to short-term because my short-term will define my long-term. Mm -hmm. I'm not credible in front of management team if I'm asking for investment, if when I'm not delivered the past investment that I've asked for, mm -hmm. and I pay a lot of attention over there. Now, having looked at all of that, I still prioritize, you know, where I want to spend time and where I delegate, you know. Mm -hmm. So I prioritize few topics that are on my list. Number one is obviously the performance, you know, mm -hmm. performance is no, uh, it's not, it's not optional. I mean, mm -hmm. you need to deliver performance and the PNL has to be on track that I uh, deal with directly. Second is technologies, you know, I want to understand in deeper sense which technologies are out there in the market and where, where do we invest and I want to have a say over there. And in our industry today, there are hundreds of startups, you know, mm -hmm. hundreds, they're so crowded, the startup space. But out of that, only three or four actually make annual recurring revenue more than 10 million euro, you know. Mm -hmm. So that just simplifies your focus, you know, where you want to be and who do you follow. So technology is the second thing. The third thing is people, you know, I mean, I want to have a team and I build a team which is uh, which is very balanced, you know, obviously gender diversity, uh, diversity in terms of where they are coming from mm -hmm. in countries. And the third one is the intellectual capital, you know. Mm -hmm. So we want to have intellectual capital that balances both experience and non lack of experience. Mm -hmm. Because what happens sometimes with experience is you go down one path, which is, you know, about, oh, I know this, so we should happen like that. But mm -hmm. I want somebody who should say, why is it happening like that? Mm -hmm. Why this way? Maybe we don't need all of that. We go this direction. That debate balances, you know, uh, the team. Also, you know, everyone has a great say. And I think the, the performance is much better. So those three things. Uh, and what else? I mean, I, I use something very practical. I have this board on my, you know, in my office and I put priority and, uh, you know, impact. And I, I shuffle every Monday I come actually and I shuffle the uh, the stickers on that, you know, which mm -hmm. is top priority and which one is going down the list or something going out in the dustbin. So I do some practical things like that as well to yeah. spend my own time. I think the biggest resource all of us have is the time, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. time and mind space. Those are the two things. And I try to manage my mind space and my time 
And uh, I think mind space is the biggest because if you're not in your office, it doesn't mean you're not working, you know, you're, you're at home and you're thinking about work. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about work when you're on weekend somewhere, you know, oh, my colleague like that or I have this problem. So you're working, you know, yeah. so the, that mind space where you focus on those three, four things is very important. If you choose the things correctly, then you will think very deep about it. You will go deep on it. You will try to uh, ask five why questions. You will go so deep that now intellectually, you know that topic better than anyone and you have the right questions, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not about knowing, it's asking the right questions because when you have the right questions, then you come to the right conclusion as a team. And my job is to ask the right questions, not to provide the answer. I want that people come to an answer together then it's, you know, uh, shared and then everyone says, oh, it's I built something, you know, I contributed that to that solution. So I want to implement it. If yeah. I solve it and I tell somebody, ah, Ravi wants this, I have to do it. And mm -hmm. I, uh, sometimes you have to push it, but most times you would like in transformation journey that people come to uh, those solutions together. Very Absolutely. important. Yeah, yeah I think the... Um point about listening and asking the right questions and not feeling like you have to have all the answers is, is really good advice. So thank you so much, Ravi. I appreciate it. Thank you.